Matthew chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took, and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Now these are the kingdom parables, as they have been titled by theologians for the past several centuries. And the kingdom parables discuss with us and teach us about the direction of the Lord's churches leading up to his return. You see, the Lord wants us to understand what is going on in our world. He wants us to understand what is happening around us. Most importantly, he wants us to understand how it all fits into his plan. Because the Lord wants us to trust him. The Lord wants us to trust him. And if God is out of control, it's hard to trust God. And so God gave us teachings to show us, and he gave us his plan so that we would know that what is happening is in his plan and it is in his will. God wants us to know this. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus said, It is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. But unto you as children of God, as saved children of God, as those who know the Lord as their Savior, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. What does that mean? It means it is for you to know what is going on and why. The Lord wants us to understand what's going on. When there's revival, he wants us to understand why there's revival. When there's a falling away, he wants us to understand why there's a falling away. And I think that's where a lot of churches today are going into error. I think we are seeing a time when there's a falling away from the faith. And I think the churches have gotten it in their minds that the problem is in how the church markets itself. And it's not. There are spiritual movements that take place throughout history. The Lord wants us to understand this. Mm -hmm. And when bad things happen and when things go badly, God wants us to understand. When you are facing manifold temptations, God wants you to understand how that works into his plan. Mm -hmm. When people leave the church, God wants you to understand why that happens. When people come into the church... He wants you to understand why that happens. When the church grows, he wants us to understand why that happens. It's not because we're brilliant. Mm -hmm. 
and we got this church growth formula figured out. It's because the Lord is adding to the church. He wants us to understand that. And so in keeping with this concept of God wanting us to understand what is going on, the Lord gave us the kingdom parables. Now, when we talk about the kingdom, it's amazing to me how we can come up with a million different ideas for something and find something to argue about and break fellowship over. I've had people tell me the kingdom of the Lord is different from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is different from the kingdom of God. That this kingdom is that kingdom and that kingdom is that. It's not that complicated. Our Lord spoke in plain language. All right? I mean, sometimes you say we're going to Brother Leland's house. Sometimes you say we're going to Sister Jessica's house. Sometimes you may say we're going to the Acker's house. Do we have three houses? No, No, right? You're just saying it differently. The kingdom. Now understand that we are not the kingdom yet. Brother Brooks used to tell us in seminary, we are not the kingdom, but we possess the kingdom. There's a head scratcher for you. At least to a first year seminary student. The thing is, is the Lord will establish his kingdom on earth. His kingdom will include us. In the meantime, he has given it to us to conduct kingdom business. In essence, we are his agents on earth, and we are authorized to do certain things on the Lord's behalf. Mm -hmm. Mainly, we are authorized to spread his gospel, to lead people to salvation, to baptize the believers, and to disciple those who believe, who believe to teach them the things that the Lord has taught us. We are his agents. Now, some people have taken that scripture where Jesus said that that which you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and that which you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And some have taken that to mean way more than the Lord means it. We don't have the authority to declare somebody saved who has not accepted the Lord as their savior. And we don't have the authority to unsave somebody who has entered into a behavior that we disagree with. There have been Christian denominations who have endeavored to do these things. And some even attached a price tag to them. That's a way to build a cathedral right there. But we don't have that authority. Some of y'all know that I am endeavoring to go into the insurance business. I will be an agent for that insurance company. There are certain things I'm authorized to do to sell their policies at their prices with their restrictions. I'm not authorized to make up my own policy, and I'm not authorized to sell them at half price. So if I try to enter into one of those, underwriting says, "Uh uh-uh, we don't do that here. When we do things outside of God's will and we teach things that God didn't say, he corrects us and says, "Uh uh-uh, we don't do that here. So we have been given the awesome role of Christ's agents on earth. We conduct kingdom business. And so he says, you're going to conduct kingdom business, but here's what this is going to look like for the next few millennia until I return. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to go down. So when these things happen, And when these things go down, 
do not be discouraged by them. Do not be disenchanted. Do not be surprised because God is not surprised. Understanding our role in kingdom business is key to understanding these kingdom parables. And the kingdom parables, they come to full fruition in the final one where the Lord separates the good fish from the bad fish. Also, in verse 30, the parable of the wheat and the tares, it comes to conclusion when the wheat is separated from the tares. The wheat are gathered in the barns, the tares are burned. That's the second coming. That's the judgment seat of Christ. That is us being received into his kingdom and those who rejected Christ being condemned for eternity. This is where this is headed. And so on the way to judgment day, here's what we're going to see happen. These parables foretell the state of the Lord's churches and Christianity on the way to judgment day. And these parables foretell several things to us. The three that we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at the rise in false converts. We are going to look at the rise in demonic influence. And we are going to look at the infiltration of sin. And you will notice that there's kind of a cause and effect there. False converts will help bring in the demonic influence, which will bring in the infiltration of sin. This is a process. It's not an accident that these parables were listed out as they were. Let's look at the rise in false converts. All right, as we look in verse 24, the Bible tells us, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Good seed. Y'all remember last week we talked about the parable of the sower? In the parable of the sower, Jesus told us to understand all parables. We have to understand that parable. That means that, the, that interpreting all of these other parables, you do that by using the key of the parable of the sower. Who was the man in the parable of the sower? Scripture tells us it was the son of man. What was he sowing? Seed. What's the seed? The word. The gospel. The good seed. The good gospel. The true gospel. He sowed it into his field. What's the field? The world. Very good. The world. We are on target here. And the seed brought forth fruit, which tells us, verse 24 tells us, when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, the good seed, the wheat, brought forth fruit. This is also the seed that falls on the good ground from the parable of the sower. It brings forth fruit. What does that tell us? That Old Testament concept that God gave to us, that his word will not return unto him void, that it will accomplish what he set out for it to do. If you want to see people saved, you need to share the gospel. You need to share the word. You need to preach the word. We need to preach the Bible. We don't need to figure out how to make the Bible more relevant to today's terms. We don't need to figure out how to update scripture to fit into and to relate our current culture. It's funny to me that a lot of leaders in the Christian movement right now are wanting to modernize and be more 21st century to reach the millennials. But if you poll the millennials, those who have any interest in Christianity whatsoever are leaning more toward orthodoxy, traditional. It's an interesting development. doesn't matter if we want tradition, if we want contemporary. What's going to return the fruit is the seed, the word, God's word, the gospel. 
and it will not return unto God void. It will accomplish what he set out for it to do. Whether that is massive conversions and souls saved as it was in Acts chapter 2, or whether it was giving the people something to reject so that they could bring the condemnation on themselves as it was in the book of Jeremiah. Whatever God's word for his will is, it will accomplish his purpose and we can trust it. Therefore, we need to sow it on behalf of the Lord. And so the Lord sowed the seed of the gospel into his field, into his word, world. But then nightfall happens. And this man in our parable has an enemy. And that enemy goes and sows tares. These tares are weeds that in, in the beginning they kind of look like the wheat. But as they mature, you can tell a difference. All right. He sowed tares. This enemy is Satan. That's what the word Satan literally means. It means opponent. It means adversary. This enemy is Satan. He sowed the tares in the form of bad seed. It's a false gospel. That bad seed produced tares, weeds, that resembled the wheat for a while. Counterfeit wheat. That can be a bad thing, by the way. When you're farming hay and you got the wrong kind of weeds mixed up in that hay, that can prove fatal for your livestock. You know, so when when we're having a drought and they're selling rolls of hay for a hundred bucks a roll, and that guy on the side of the road has one for fifteen bucks, you better check that fifteen dollar hay. There might be something in there. All right, Um, it can be bad. If you have been anywhere near agriculture, you know that this could be a bad thing to have tares in your wheat. First of all, the tares take up soil space. They take up sunlight. They take up soil nutrition. They take up water. They make nourishing the wheat more difficult. It makes harvest difficult. Because prior to the tares, you go through there and you could get your little sickle thing and grab you a handful, bind it together. You have a sheaf. But now you have to go through the process of separating it out. In modern day times, we have tractors. With balers. Well, you can't just run the tractor through there now. Now you have to sort it, and you've got a problem. The tares make the harvest more difficult. They frustrate the agricultural operation, and they create problems. The false converts frustrate the cause of Christ. They advocate false doctrines. They welcome sin. Sometimes they hinder evangelism. And Satan knows this, so he sowed the tares. The Bible tells us, though, and Jesus said in verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Mm -hmm. The wheat shall be harvested anyway. The hope that we have as Christians is that our day of being received into God's kingdom And spending an eternity in his presence is coming. For the tares, this is not good news. And so there's a warning here. There is a warning against believing the false gospel. There is a warning against believing false doctrine. There is a warning here to do what Peter said when he said to make your calling and your election sure. What makes you think that you're a Christian? What makes you a Christian? What hope have you pinned yourself on that you are getting into heaven? If God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What's your answer? 
Have you believed the true gospel or have you believed a false gospel? The true gospel, here's how you know the true gospel is how Jesus Christ died for our sins. For the scripture, according to the scriptures, he died for our sins. Our sins put him on that cross, that song we used to sing on Sunday mornings. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. All right? Our sin was the reason he went to the cross. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. For my righteous, for my righteous servant shall justify many. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. But with his stripes we are healed. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us how important the resurrection is. The Apostle Paul went on an entire like 40 verse discussion in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about how important the resurrection is. Phil Robertson said it in about three sentences. He said, a Savior who is dead and in the ground can't do much for me. But a Savior who is living can still help me. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us. The reason you are saved is because he cleared your sin debt on the cross, making that possible. You accepted that salvation when you said, it is enough. When you said, that is my only hope. When you said, there's nothing else I can add to that. There is nothing else I can do that. Here, Lord, I give myself to you. I trust you to save me because of what you did for me on the cross. If he can't earn your trust by dying for you, he can't earn your trust. That's just, that's just it. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, but he rose again the third day. He ever lives to make intercession for us. How do you stay saved? Why, my brother, you walk the straight and narrow. Once again, Southern culture gets it wrong. There is no straight and narrow. You cannot walk the straight and narrow. I remember my doctor told me to go on this diet. No fried foods, don't drink your calories, walk a mile a day. You've got to lose 100 pounds. That's the only way you're going to do it. I go back to him about a month later. He goes, how you doing? I said, well, I had some fried chicken. I, I fell off the wagon. He goes, no, 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 no. There is no wagon. There's only life or death, and you've got to choose one or the other. Like there's a sermon illustration in there somewhere, doctor. And here you go. There, there is no wagon. There is no straight and narrow. There, there is only the decision to trust what God has done for us, what the Lord did for us on the cross to receive us into heaven. And if you are trusting anything else, then that's what your trust is in, and your trust falls short of the cross. And any faith that falls short of the cross will leave you short of heaven. And we trust that God will keep us saved, not because we're able to walk the straight and narrow, not because we're able to keep our minds right or our activities right, but because the Lord continually advocates for us. That's the gospel. That's the true gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the true gospel. The false gospel. And there's a bunch of them. I can't go into all of them. Some of them say that you have to do certain works to be saved. You have to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. If you don't get in the water before you die, then you're not saved. 
Some believe that. Some believe that you have to take the Lord's Supper in order to be saved, or you have to take the Lord's Supper periodically in order to stay saved. By the way, next Sunday we'll do the Lord. No, fourth Sunday we'll do the Lord's Supper. Sunday after Easter we'll do the Lord's Supper. Um, but we do it to honor the Lord, not in order to stay saved. Some say you have to go to church every Sunday. These are all things that saved people do, but they're not saved because they do these things. These things that they do are an expression of their, of their salvation. Now, I could go down false gospels, false teachings. We, there, there's literally a book this thick called The Kingdom of the Cults where it goes through all of these different false teachings. We don't have time to do that this morning, and we don't have to. To know if something's a false teaching, you just got to know whether or not it deviates from the true teaching, from the true gospel. A secret service agent learns to spot counterfeit currency not by studying counterfeits, but by studying the real currency. And he'll look at that $100 bill, and he'll study that $100 bill, and he'll look it over every square millimeter of that $100 bill. He'll learn every detail of it. So if you hand him a counterfeit $100 bill, he knows some, I mean, he has seen so many of the real ones that that fake one, it jumps out at him. Now, he may have to inspect it for a little bit to figure out what exactly is wrong with it, but when you hand it to him, he knows it's counterfeit just on first glance because he is so familiar with the true one. That's why we talk about the gospel so much. That's why we're in the Bible so much. To get so familiar with the true gospel of Jesus Christ that when somebody hands us a counterfeit, we know it. We may need to think about it for a second to figure out exactly what's wrong with it, but we know it's wrong. So there's going to be a rise in false converts, and these false converts will come from a rise in the preaching of, of the false gospel. So we're going to see more situations like this happening, and it's going, to, it's going to blur some lines and muddy some waters and make some things uncertain, and there are going to be some difficult days ahead as this becomes a bigger problem leading up to the return of Christ. And we can either be upset about it and be discouraged by it, or we can realize that as these tares grow up, we are getting closer to harvest day. And that's what I'm looking forward to. What should we do about the tares? Jesus said nothing. You sit, if you sit here and try to figure out who in this room is a tare and who is a wheat, all you're going to wind up doing is uprooting the wheat and the tares, and you're going to wipe out the entire field. Many a churches have destroyed themselves trying to root out the false believers. There's a story, I, I think it's just a story, I don't know that this actually happened, but there's a story about a preacher who had taken over a congregation, he had been called to pastor the church, and he gets into about the third month of that of pastoring that church, and he realizes that half of his members are unsaved. So he kicks the unsaved half out of the church. A month later, he realized he excluded the wrong people. <laughs> All right, that can happen. We're not going to sit here and try to look each other up and down and try to figure out who's the... Real convert, and who's the false convert? Listen, those false converts, the thing about the Lord's field is that the tares can become wheat if they are exposed to the gospel enough. Somebody's living under a false profession of Christ will continue to preach the gospel. And if they come to the knowledge that they've accepted a false gospel, they want to receive the true gospel, we welcome them with open arms. Because that's my testimony. Made a false profession when I was 12 years old. Made the true profession when I was 24. Now, the church I grew up in could have said, we don't serve sinners here, and they could have booted me, but they didn't. The church 
that welcomed me into their membership when I was an adult could have given me 300 litmus tests to figure out if I was a true Christian, allowed me to fail the litmus test and tell me I wasn't welcome there. But they didn't. If they had, I'd probably still be lost today. No, they welcomed me. They preached the gospel to me, and eventually, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the faithful teaching and preaching, it clicked. That's what we do here. Yes, amen. And so if you're a tear, and you may not know it yet, you may realize you're a tear three months from now. If you get to that knowledge, I've never truly accepted the gospel. We're not going to say we knew you was faking. <laughs> We're going to say, praise the Lord, we're glad to have you. Amen. You have been our friend all these months, all these years. Now you're our brother or sister. Amen. Parable of the tares. Parable of the wheat and tares. There'll be false converts. There'll be false gospel that'll be preached. Yes. Secondly, there'll be demonic influence. This is, this is where we get into some controversy here. This is where people start getting upset with me. Verses 31 and 32. The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. We misunderstand this parable because we've watched Disney princess movies. And if you've ever watched a Disney princess movie, Snow White, Cinderella, name them, Sleeping Beauty. All right, at some point, the princess is going to be singing, and the birds are going to come fly around, and they're going to sing too, and you'll have a little animal chorus happening in the forest, and the birds are all yellow and blue and red and beautiful colors, and it's a pretty thing, isn't it? Um, when you've got a songbird out the window of your kitchen that you get to listen to sing, everyone, that's a pretty thing. You ever wake up on, on a Sunday morning and the birds are singing outside your window? That's a pretty thing. And so we apply that interpretation to this, to this parable. And so we see the mustard seed, which is the least of all seeds. It is, it is a little bitty seed. This man sows it in his field, and it grows up into a mighty tree. I, I come from East Texas. We have pine trees there. We think we have trees here. In fact, I've lived here so long, I've gotten used to these trees I took uh, David and Isaac down to Huntsville, Texas to a preaching appointment with me. We went and saw that big statue of um, Sam Houston. You remember that? Remember them big old pine trees that were taller than the statue? I mean, it was, whoo, I got a picture of Isaac going, those are some trees. And the birds, you'll, you'll get you some parakeets and some robins and some mockingbirds and some whippoorwills living up in there. And and that's what we think about. We think of how glorious it is to start small, grow big, and then there's birds and singing and beauty. Yes. That's how people interpret this parable. Because we live in America in the 21st century. But you've got to take yourself back to Jesus' day. Yes. And what was a bird to Jesus? When Jesus mentioned the birds of the air, did he have parakeets and robins and whippoorwills and all that on the mountain? No. They have a different kind of bird in Jerusalem. It ain't pretty. No. And I've never been to the Holy Land. But I've seen pictures. And I don't remember seeing one pine tree mm-hmm. in any of that. Mm-hmm. No. What do we have to do to the parable of the mustard seed? We, again, remember, the parable of the sower is our key to interpreting all of these parables. So we've got to take those symbols and we've got to apply them to the parable of the mustard seed. All right, so... A man sowed mustard seed into his field. 
The man is who? Jesus. The seed is what? Gospel. Word. The field is the world. Now this scripture tells us the seed is small. The least of all seeds. Which means it is not something that the world looks up to. The gospel is not respected or renowned in the world. But this little mustard seed births an entire tree. And likewise, the gospel, even though it's not one of the most renowned philosophies in the world, even though it's not something that people look up to or respect, we love it. We love it. But the world doesn't. The world doesn't study it. The world does not explore it. I mean... The colleges will talk about how Christians have been the problem of the world since 2,000 years ago. But they won't talk about what Christians believe. They won't talk about the fundamental doctrine of true Christianity, which is the gospel. The colleges will talk about every doctrine, every philosophy under the sun. We'll study Aristotle. We'll study Plato. We will... Plato. Not Plato. Plato. We'll study... I think we should study Plato. But Plato... All right... We will study, in college, you'll study Marx. You'll study Keynesian economics versus free market economics. They'll study Alexis de Tocqueville, um, Thomas Jefferson. I mean, different writers, George Bernard Shaw, Mark Twain, George Orwell. Although, they're starting to pull him off the shelves. It's, you know, they're starting to realize he was right about a few things, and so we don't want people to figure that out. And we'll study all these different things. How many classes on secular college campuses actually get into the gospel and study the concept of redeeming love, of sacrificial atonement, of redemption, reconciliation, restoration? When was the last time you studied that in a humanities class? Well, that's religion. So is all the other stuff. People don't get into the gospel. Yet, the gospel did transform the world. It becomes a mighty tree in verse 32. And when the tree is grown, it, it, it became a mighty tree. The gospel is not studied or renowned, but how, how influential has Christianity been on Western literature and Western culture? A lot. Yes. When the tree is grown... The birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Let's go back to the parable of the sower. I love robins. I love cardinals. They're not here in verse 32. No. The birds of the air, going back to the parable of the sower, what are they? They're the wicked one. Snatches away the seed before the ground has a chance to take it in and let it take root. So if the birds are the wicked one in the parable of the sower, we get to the parable of the mustard seed. What are the birds? The evil one. Demonic presence, demonic influences. You've got to look at this from Jesus' perspective. Because when he's talking in Jerusalem, he wasn't surrounded by singing parakeets and mockingbirds. They had buzzards. They had vultures. They had uh, crows. I mean... Part of the torture of hanging on the cross is what the birds would do to you while you hung there. And birds will pollute a tree. 
You ever see what happens to a tree when the buzzards decide that that's going to be their tree? I mean, by the time they're done with it, you've got just a few stumps there sticking up in the air that's nasty. Mm -hmm. That tree wasn't nasty and the buzzards joined in. The buzzards joined in, the tree became nasty. You don't believe me that birds pollute? You're going to park under a tree in the Walmart parking lot where the grackles are roosting? Mm -mm. Birds pollute. And just as birds, listen, we got these mud swallows living on our front porch. And our kids are like, they're a family. And I'm seeing what's falling out the bottom of that nest. <laughs> birds pollute. I know people that they take active steps to, keep, to get rid of them. Birds pollute. Yes. All right. Demonic influences. And so that's what Jesus was talking about. And so we will see that as... Our influence in the world grows as the, as the gospel is filling the earth, as it's being preached throughout the entire world. Satan will be there with his messengers to pollute the message and to turn people astray. And this is why bad things happen. This is why evil things happen. This is why bad things and evil things happen within the church. This is why you have divisiveness in church. This is why you have church conflicts. This is why you have church splits. Because Satan has put one of his birds in the congregation. Who is he? Parable of the terrors, we're not supposed to try to figure that part out. What we are supposed to do is be able to recognize the attack from Satan when it happens. And we can't do that if our allegiance is to each other and not to the Lord. Because you will have people that will follow a bird just because they're good friends with that bird. They're on the bird's side. They don't realize whose side the bird is on. If we're partisan in here, if we allow ourselves to become partisan little groups, clicks that's exactly what will happen we have the this group here this group here that group back there that's exactly what will happen satan can work in that divisiveness and church splits it's funny to me that somebody will bring in a false doctrine to the church and say this is something that is totally of the world but to be relevant we have to accept it and the church says no that's against scripture we're not accepting it And the person who brought it in says, how can y'all be so divisive? Happens. The inception of false or ungodly doctrine. Um, Abuse. We've seen scandals in in the Catholic Church over the years say, well, that's Catholicism. Uh, The Associated Press did a study, and they found that there were a number of uh, Southern Baptist preachers and, and youth ministers and staff members who have been accused of this sort of thing as well. How could that happen? Because Satan has put his birds in the branches of the tree. That's where that comes from. Church scandals. The embezzlement of funds. How does that happen? Satan has his birds in the branches of the tree. And Satan uses all of this to discredit us. And to diminish our ability to spread the gospel. How many articles... Did the Houston Chronicle do about the, and, and we're not Southern Baptist, but, but think about this. How many articles did the Houston Chronicle do about Southern Baptist missions to Mexico and to the border and to Central America? How often do you read about that in the Chronicle? How often do you read about the Southern Baptist Conventions and the American Baptist Association's efforts to help with hurricane relief after Hurricane Harvey? Did that make the front page? No. But the scandal did. Mm-hmm. The, the sin natures of, 
is appealed by that. People will buy that newspaper off of that headline. That's why the Chronicle did it. Satan uses all of that to discredit us and to diminish our ability to spread the gospel. Yeah. And that's been going on like crazy. All right. So with all that in mind, what we learn from this, number one, don't be discouraged when these things happen. The Lord knew they would, and he told us they would. And secondly, be aware of what's influencing you. So we've got the demonic influence. And finally, we have the infiltration of sin. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. In scripture, what does leaven symbolize? That's why we have unleavened bread for the Lord's Supper, because the body of Christ was sinless. He was without sin. Leaven always represents sin in scripture. There's a view of this particular parable that says well you know the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven you put the leaven in the lump of meal and it leavenates the whole thing and that just shows that the kingdom of heaven will one day influence the entire world that violates the symbol of the leaven you know what leaven is it's yeast you know what yeast is bacteria you know what makes the bread rise when you put the leaven in the bread the bacteria die and they're little, y'all are never going to eat a cake after this. <laughs> Sorry, Katie. They, the bacteria die, and the little single cellular bodies decompose and release gas, and that gas is what expands yes. the bread. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've still got one of those uh, cream cheese rolls you made at the house, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping Jessica forgets that we have it so I can eat it. All right? <laughs> it's still delicious. Do- listen, donuts are good. All right, not trying to discourage the consumption of bread, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think that that's bad, you ought to see how they manufacture the chicken McNuggets I like so much, all right? Yeah. You're safer with Katie's confections. Um, that's what leaven is. It represents sin. Yes. It infiltrates and fills the lump every single time, and it will affect every square inch of that lump. I used to work in a pizza place. And my job at the pizza place was to wash the trays on which we kept the dough. Uh, I, I delivered pizzas and I washed the trays. And so I would take the tray, spray it off. Okay, that was been cleaned, set it over there, and spray it off. And sometimes I'd forget to spray out my sink. But the little pieces of dough were about that big when I spray them off the tray. And so I leave to go deliver a pizza. I come back in about 45 minutes with these huge clumps of dough in the bottom of my sink. Which one of you kids did this? Because I'm working with a bunch of teenagers. Which one of you kids did this? None of them. Those are the little specks of dough I sprayed off those trays. The leaven had begun to activate, and it had expanded. That's what, that's what it does. Sin infiltrates everything. That little bit of sin in your life will infiltrate everything and affect everything that you do. And that little bit of sin that the church allows will affect everything the church does. Sin in the lump. So we need to be aware of sin in our lives. And whether or not we as a church have taken the proper scriptural approach to it. But there's another symbol in the parable of the leaven. 
the woman. Why did Jesus have a woman putting the leaven into the lump? Let's go to Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah is toward the end of the New Testament, so you shouldn't have to go too far. Zechariah chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what this see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah. It's a big basket about yea tall. It's an ephah that goeth forth. And he said, Moreover, this is their resemblance throughout through all the earth. And behold, there is lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. So this basket has a big lead talent over the top of it. They take the, the lead talent off the top of it and this woman steps up and she pokes her head out the top of it, all right? And he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, so the woman has to go back into the basket and he cast the, lead, the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold, there came out two women and the wind was in their wings for they had wings like the wings of a stork and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephah? And they said unto me, To build it a house in the land of Shiner, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base. These women in this prophecy are symbolic of wicked, false religious movements. They are being taken to the land of Shiner, not Texas. Yeah. All right, Shiner is Iraq. They're being taken over to close to where Baghdad is. And that will become a base of false religion, a base of wickedness. And I think we're seeing that develop today. Yes. All right. So the sin that has been injected into the lump, the church, is being done by false religious movements. Influenced by cults and adopting their ideas or false teachings that excuse sin. By the time we get to Judgment Day, this will be so rampant that you will be hard-pressed to find a church that has not been affected by this. The Lord wants you to understand. Mm -hmm. He wants you to understand how this happens, and he wants you to understand the why. Yes. So, I can get up here and complain about what's going on in churches around the United States and what's happening with Christianity, what's happening with society, why everybody seems to have lost their minds. And I can be disheartened by it. I can be discouraged by it. I can wonder if what I believe is real or not. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, what if some did not believe? Does that make the faith with none effect? God forbid. Our non-belief does not discredit the gospel. The world's non-belief does not discredit the gospel. The sin of the masses does not discredit the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. Yes. God's word is true, whether we believe it, whether we follow it, or whether we don't. There are going to be many people who don't. And as we get closer to the day of Christ, we are going to see a lot more people who claim that they follow him who do not. Mm -hmm. The Lord wants us to understand this concept so that as we go forward and as things seem to get worse in our world, that we are not discouraged by what we see, right. but rather encouraged by noticing the signs that point to the Lord's return. Yes. 